You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Welcome everyone to the 100th episode of Retail Remix. We are two years into this incredible journey, and on one hand, I can't believe it's here, and on the other, I can definitely believe it's here. We kicked off this series shortly after the NRF Big Show in 2020, which honestly feels like it was a totally different world. We were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and focused on speaking with as many executives as possible so we could build out our content calendar and prepare to launch something amazing. A few short weeks after unveiling this series, our offices closed, we were all sheltered in place due to COVID-19, and our priorities from a content perspective significantly changed. And I'll be honest, some of those days felt long, stressful, uncertain, even frustrating. And I'm sure a lot of you, if not all of you, can relate. The industry at large underwent such seismic change, which inspired us to launch some new programs and experiences like Retail Reset to bring the industry and our community together. Simultaneously, we continued to plug away at Retail Remix, reaching out to some of the industry's top brands and thought leaders to get their perspectives on where the industry was, and most of all, where it was headed. Month by month, we saw, and continue to see, our audience grow. And it is because of all of you. All of you who have subscribed to the series, who listen to new episodes every week, and who share your favorites with friends and colleagues. Those shares have created a ripple effect in which people are inspired to go back into the archives and listen to some of our older conversations. We have had some incredible discussions, even debates, over these past 100 episodes, and I'm thrilled to say it is only the beginning. We have so many great episodes coming down the pike and ideas that we're excited to tackle in the future. But today, we celebrate where we've been, how far we've come, and how we're driving collaboration and innovation across the retail industry. So with that, let's look back at our top five conversations, selected by you, our listeners. At number five, we have our retail design panel, featuring Aaron Burney of Gensler. This conversation was on the heels of our unveiling our inaugural retail design survey. Not only was this the first iteration of the survey, it was an important one. It was a crucial moment for us to spotlight the new trends and challenges in store design and experience amid the pandemic. We discussed everything from budget shifts to changes in design teams and the creative workforce, and how the emergence of new trends like contactless commerce were impacting immediate and future design decisions. It was interesting to get Aaron's perspectives, largely because he has worked with a multitude of different brands and teams, and he certainly did not disappoint. In this particular clip, he discusses at a high level how the design discipline and function are changing. We all agree design is very important, that that visual experience does play a role in building your brands, building that recall and that richness of the experience. So I'm glad we're all aligned there, but I would love to hear your take on 
how companies are prioritizing that that visual side of the equation in a tactical sense. So just for context, like our survey said that despite all the layoffs and and furloughs that were happening within their organizations, their design teams either stayed the same or they actually expanded over the past year, which I thought was very interesting considering all of the um, volatility that was taking place over the past year. So, I mean, are, are you seeing more budget, more attention being placed in this area of the experience equation, so to speak? Like, are, are your clients hiring more people? Are they trying to build out their skill sets in any way? And I understand you can't really get into specifics you know, at the client level, but I mean, more broadly at, at a trend level, I mean, what are you seeing there? Yeah, I think, you know, the ones that, you know, are looking to designers to kind of help them through this transformation are definitely keeping their eye out and looking for kind of the best and brightest in talent. There are kind of three critical things that I'm hearing from retailers right now around how they're approaching and looking at their businesses. And the first one I would say is really looking at right-sizing their business. We've seen a dramatic shift, and I think this plays into staffing, both ups and downs. A dramatic shift in consumer behavior, as you mentioned at the beginning of this segment, there's a simple amount of times that people go to the supermarket in a week or even shift to delivery of the subscription services, right? But executives are looking at this behavior and really trying to determine how behavior will shape the opportunity for their business in the future. In many cases, this involves right-sizing certain categories or even their real estate portfolios to help position them for future successes. So there's been a huge shift, as we have all seen, in where people live and where they work, learn, or even play. And every business is looking at this very carefully to see how they come to market. The second one I'd mentioned, which was really this notion of optimization. Companies are really looking at this through the lens of everything from supply chain to creating manufacturing and local fabrication opportunities, or maybe even just cross-training sales staff to think about in-store service as well as online fulfillment and delivery opportunities. So I think that's really kind of the second thing that I'm seeing in a big way. And then I'd say the third one that a lot of clients are talking about and, and really asking about is how do I differentiate myself as I move into the future? So it's really this idea of what, what's unique about my company, my organization, and really, really identifying that and taking a stance on that as an organization. So this ties directly to everything from online to social channels, as well as the in-store experience. And it also ties into the organizational structure, as we mentioned, right? So how do those teams come together? How do they work together? How do they overlap? And how do they have common goals and kind of KPIs to drive the business forward? Our next episode on this list features Thomas Epting, director of Shopify Fulfillment Network. While a lot of companies were undergoing product pivots and economic hardship during the pandemic, Shopify was experiencing record growth. A lot of merchants were navigating store closures and were looking to build out their e-commerce capabilities. Needless to say, Shopify was there to support them. In this episode, Thomas shared a lot of great feedback on how and what unique expertise and technical capabilities Shopify Fulfillment Network specifically brought to the table during this make or break time for brands. Yeah, it's truly been fascinating. I I like that you alluded to the time machine effect because that acceleration is very real. It has permeated, I think, the entire 
retail landscape and has impacted companies of all sizes. But to drill down into your target audience, I appreciate you bringing up that transition that so many businesses have had to make. If they didn't have an e-commerce presence, they had to stand one up, right? And if they had a digital presence, but it wasn't their top priority, maybe it was like a supplement to like a very hyper-local, engaged store experience, they had to double down on, you know, spreading across different digital channels to drive that awareness and that engagement. So shift to digital, very real, a very big and frequently visited topic on retail touch points in particular. But I feel like it, it really reaffirms this new role of the direct-to-consumer experience and and how digital and e-commerce is supporting those quote-unquote DTC brands. So I'd love your personal perspective on how you see this space kind of evolving, expanding. I mean, with that shift to digital in mind, is it going to be even more competitive than it already is? Yeah, let me give you a really specific example. A merchant who's using Shopify Fulfillment Network today, this is prototypical Shopify merchant. They're called Frostbeard Studios. Roxy and Tom Luvanovic, they're out of Minnesota and they're founders. So Roxy had this love of books. She and her husband, Tom, made this business that started to create candles that capture the smell of old books, of coffee, antique wooden bookshelves. And they had a brick and mortar store where they were, were selling these. The pandemic closed that down, obviously. And so they came straight to SFN where we helped them pick, custom pack and ship their orders to customers. So this allowed them to focus on growing their business, even to the point that it allowed them to ship their 10,000th order with us. So they've been able to focus on what they're great at doing and what Shopify merchants are great at doing typically, which is, creating new brands, creating new products, and in some cases, even creating new product categories. The Shopify merchants are the most innovative of the future of retail. And so what we want to do with the Shopify Fulfillment Network is simplify all of that, the business of logistics and of shipping and fulfillment for them. So we want to provide them a really integrated platform So they know that they can trust Shopify is their back office. It's where they manage all of their business, where they manage their different marketing channels. And now they're also able to integrate their uh, fulfillment business there as well. They also know that they spend all of this time and effort building up their brand. And Shopify Fulfillment Network wants to keep that brand front and center. We don't want to be the marketplace or that puts their brand over the top of the merchant's brand, we want to allow them to control that branding experience. And so Frostbeard is one of those who, who does that with this. And then one of the real superpowers of Shopify and SFN together is that it allows you to have that buyer relationship and preserve your customer data. You're not relinquishing your data and your control of that experience to some aggregated marketplace you're really controlling that one-on-one. And so back to the question you asked, here's how it's going to become more competitive and why the Shopify merchant is set up to succeed. They'll be able to have that relationship with their customer, provide the world-class experience that all buyers are expecting, but still be able to keep that customer relationship and keep that high brand touch point. 
I'm really excited to share this next clip with you because this episode features two experts from the world of Kroger, a retailer that we are always keeping tabs on for its innovation. Specifically, our guests, Milan Mahadevan and Kara Pratt, are from 8451 and Kroger Precision Marketing, respectively, and they answered all of my questions about retail media. And boy, did our audience respond. Despite the episode only being live since the middle of December 2021, it is in our top three most downloaded episodes for the series, which personally I feel is not only testament to Kroger and 8451's incredible stature in the industry, it also spoke to how top of mind and how critical retail media networks have become for brands and retailers alike. During this conversation, we dig into the company's innovation in retail media and how digital opportunities are extending into new omni-channel engagement strategies. Who is more involved or becoming more involved in these conversations around impact and performance of these campaigns? Because sometimes I feel like the issues or the concerns of marketing teams are sometimes in a vacuum, right? Like marketing is in control of marketing, but I'm seeing glimmers of different teams being involved in these conversations. And of course, the C-level putting a closer magnifying glass on marketing specifically because they want to understand, to your point, the impact of these programs and and these initiatives and and how they're driving more tangible and and in some cases bottom line results for the business. And and I'm curious if you're seeing a a similar shift or or similar evolution in terms of who's thinking about performance, who's thinking about data privacy or consumer perception of data privacy of these types of initiatives. Like, is this something that is slowly but surely extending into other functions and other areas of the business? Yeah, I think it's very clear that this is not a marketer's problem to solve, if you will. And and to your point, it extends whether the influence and level of involvement of chief data officers, chief investment officers at, at digital agencies, chief customer officers, chief financial officers. It continues to move through lots of different really critical C-suite functions for, for everybody being mindful of this. For brands that try to solve this in a silo or organizations really that try to solve this in a silo, they're going to come up short because it's not just around marketing effectiveness. It really breeds off of the the transformation that's taking shape for how and when people shop, right? The digital transformation, omni-channel expectations that customers have, and of course, privacy is a common thread throughout all of it. Uh, And that feeds into how organizations kind of organize, structure themselves to then influence where investment comes from? How do they operationalize their strategy? So this is not a, a single kind of functions opportunity to solve, but many different kind of layers within the organization have a responsibility to, to lean in and dig in together. And, you know, Melina, I'm sure you've got lots of thoughts on this too. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think this isn't about an individual team within a brand or even a retailer it's about all of those teams come together and having an intense focus on you know the customer and intense focus on kind of return around it and so we've seen i would say every part of an organization lean into understanding and influencing how whether it's media dollars advertising dollars marketing dollars are used to reach customers and to drive a return 
Excellent. So that leads me to ask, I mean, how will these conversations evolve or the teams evolve as we start to think about the future? And by the future, I mean, Kara, to your point around the omni experience and the the potential of bringing these more connected and immersive media and content experiences to the store level. I know we're starting to see little rumblings of like store as media and store of the future and how digital content and personalization is a really strong connecting point for that. So what are you seeing in in that particular area? We see a real collapsing from, I think, historical mindsets where there's kind of a fractured or separation historically in, you know, digital versus traditional channels, digital versus physical retail touch points, et cetera. So that, that shopping funnel is just going to collapse. And you can create these moments of inspiration and you can move from kind of awareness to conversion and buy in lots of different means across lots of different properties, frankly, and a click and a click of a button. And so that's where the real power of shoppable media and the evolution to how we're delivering against consumer expectations really sits at the forefront. Omnichannel commerce is going to continue to evolve the touch points within a physical store and the digital means of being inspired uh, when somebody's kind of shopping in a physical store, yet kind of using an app when they're in that moment to not just using that for influencing pre-trip planning or adding coupons and offers and incentives incentives, meal planning recipes and inspiration, et cetera, but helping to navigate in the store. There's so many opportunities for the physical world and the digital world to collide and be really helpful to help consumers live healthier lives, make better decisions, and and just make things easier in in a relatively chaotic environment. So what I really love about the landscape is the change is being driven both by the consumer and consumer expectations, as well as the market and net new regulations and ad tech evolutions. And I think one tenant that we fundamentally believe in is consumer expectations are only going to grow. They're going to get higher. Immediacy, convenience, that's the way of the future. And we're just at the beginning of it. And so we, we see a lot of exciting evolution within the landscape as the physical and digital worlds collide. Millen, any builds on that? I thought you, you answered it beautifully. That collapsing component and that path to purchase and the role the store plays, the role digital play, it's it all will blur because it's all about the customer and where are they in their in their experience, in their journey. As a retailer, Kroger's gonna continue to really focus on personalization. Offline, online, it's one seamless experience for the consumer. And Kara, talk to the, the blurring of pre-shop, during shop. So many capabilities that are started in a pure play digital space are being taken at pace to the physical environment. You know, if you go and you engage with, with Kroger in a digital environment, you kind of get to this place of, have you forgotten? And that type of capability can be available as you walk through the store. And it's about being not just relevant, but useful to the consumer. Because one of the worst things you can have as a consumer is to to leave the store, get home, unpack, and realize you forgot something. And so, so many of these experiences, whether they're inspiration, whether they're convenience, whether they're just useful, their value plays, can be placed across the spectrum of the assets of the business to really help all customers wherever they are in their journey. And I actually think it's going to be 
super exciting to see that evolution continue to get more and more of those touch points that have traditionally been in more of a, a digital environment exposed in that more physical environment. It's only just a matter of time as they really take over. For a consumer, it'll be a case of go from a mobile app to my, my digital car and helping me navigate the store in one really seamless manner and alerting me to you know things that I might have forgotten on my trip so that I don't get home and feel disappointed in that experience. Anyone who knows me knows I love a good growth story. I love to learn about up-and-coming brands, the channels they're using, and the innovative approaches they're taking to customer acquisition and retention. And I know during the pandemic especially, people were hungry for positive success stories. So I wasn't completely surprised when I saw this next episode in our top five list. It's my conversation with Catherine Pike, Senior Director of Retail for Viore. The DTC athleisure brand tripled in value during the pandemic. And I wanted to find out why. Well, not just why, but how. Viore, without a doubt, capitalized on the work-from-home life shift of many consumers. But that couldn't just be it, right? I asked Catherine a lot of questions about how the team navigated the volatility of the pandemic, the shifts that took place, the strategies that were accelerated, and the experiences that helped the company thrive at a time when some brands were struggling to survive. The episode has a lot of interesting insights on the role of digital communities and content, but what struck me the most was how Viore invested in its people cross-training them, and creating new opportunities for development to support the business and its customers amid store closures. It's really fascinating to see all of the possible adjacencies, right, or the connecting points that a brand can have to so many different facets of the consumer's life or even their employees' lives, right? Like that's how you kind of build a culture that captivates people and makes them want to be engaged in that whole universe that you're creating. But before we kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of those great initiatives and the great content that you've been creating throughout the brand's history, I do want to talk about, of course, the categories specific nuances and some of the trends that that you alluded to, especially over the past uh, 18 months or so now. Obviously, you know, in our world, we've been talking a lot about the different category level shifts, you know, what consumers are buying and why. Obviously, fashion took a very hard hit during the heart of the pandemic for obvious reasons. People largely working, learning, and hunkering down at home, whereas the fitness category and athleisure definitely thrived, right? But of course, I'm sure that doesn't mean everything was all sunny for the Viore brand. So, I mean, let's kind of take a look back before we talk about the path forward. What were some of the most critical actions or even growing pains that Viore experienced throughout 2020? Because prior to this, you guys were seeing some pretty significant growth, right? Correct. We were definitely seeing, I'd call it significant growth prior to, but then what occurred with the shutdowns and the closures like went far beyond significant. It, it just went crazy. And so I think first and foremost, like when we look, but when I look back at the challenges, got to talk about that time when our stores were all closed because I've never experienced anything like that before. I think in my entire career, I've had 
maybe one natural disaster closes store for two days or something like that. But we, we keep our stores open. It's what we work to do. So the idea of closing with what we thought was going to be a week or maybe two that ended up being close to three months, that was just a really wild time because early on our senior leadership team and our CEO and founder said, we're going to do everything we can to keep the team together through this. And so we had to pivot very quickly to find ways to keep our entire staff on and paid and still meaningfully contributing to the business because that's what they wanted to do as well. So in those early weeks, we were cross-training into new departments. We had retail employees who were trained into marketing, customer service. We created a whole new role that still exists today due to that cross-training and some of the efficiencies we found there. We put together in-depth training sessions with different departments so that our retail team came out of this with knowledge they never would have had about literally all functions and departments of Viore and how we work. And we just basically got very, very creative and we had it day to day in how to make up that time and make sure that when we did reopen, our goal was that we would have a leg up and we would be ready to go because we kept our team engaged and we actually invested in them and their training and their skill sets so that we reopened. And luckily for us, like not only did we have a team that was so grateful and enthusiastic to come back, but we came back to all those people who found us during the lockdown period, there were restrictions, but they wanted to come in the store. And so we definitely got extremely busy very quickly when we did reopen our doors. And since then, the biggest challenge has just been an exercise in how quickly can you possibly scale to keep up with the growth. And finally, at number one, we have our interview with Stephanie Fox, COO of Thrasio. The marketplace space has been hopping over the past year, and a lot of attention and funding is being placed on acquirers and aggregators. Thrasio in particular has been spotlighted for its data-driven approach to identifying and acquiring brands that have the power to scale. And what's interesting about this company is that they create two clear paths to scale. Either Thrasio focuses on holding the brand's marketplace strategy and content, or helps the business roll out a branded D2C site experience. The company has received $3.4 billion with a B in funding as of this recording and is undoubtedly one of the leaders in this fascinating market. That's why I wanted to sit down with Stephanie, who was actually the company's first employee. I wanted to get her take on the company's growth, its unique position in the marketplace world, but also how the brand is responding to the fast evolution of marketplaces. New platforms, new brands, and of course, new competition, and how that's impacting Thrasio's growth roadmap. Data is a big part of your model, right? Like how you kind of go about optimizing, I guess, your mix and figuring out the strategies for growth for your brands, right? Like how, how does that work? Where does the data come from? What's the process? I mean, we're talking so much about data-driven decision-making and it's largely through the lens of like omni-channel retailers, but I mean, the e-commerce landscape is so vast and there are so many of these like smaller businesses, like there are still opportunities for them too. So, I mean, what does that data-driven approach or, or model look like for you? Yeah, great question. And, and I think it's probably the most important factor to success in e-commerce is to let the data drive decisions because we all have 
what we think is going to work and you just have to trust the data. So we've from day one done that in every department at Thrasio. So our, our creative team, for example, everything is split test, everything. If we launch a new main image, we're watching the conversion rate before and after. We're making sure that any incremental changes we make to these listings, whether it be images or title or bullets or enhanced brand content or whatever it is, we're testing as much as we can ahead of time. And then after it goes live, we're watching very closely. So because sometimes you'll come out with beautiful creative that everyone that looks at it says, yeah, this looks good. This looks better than the old creative. And then you push it live and then conversion rate tanks. And you're like, wait, what happened? And the Amazon customer liked the old packaging like or, or liked the old images. And so you have to just take that information and say, okay, go back to the drawing board and, and try it again. And and then when you make it better, you have to try it again and make it better and better. And so that it's just this constantly iterative process. But I also think like when you let the data drive decision that it takes all the emotion out of it. So there's no, well, I like this product or I like this packaging and it's, you just have to see what the data tells you. And then you prioritize based on that. Yeah. I like that. So that data-driven approach dictates not just what that D2C Shopify powered site looks like and what that experience looks like, but also how they're presented on Amazon. Oh yeah. Yep. When I was talking about images, I was I meant just Amazon, like main images and secondary images. We're split testing all of that. Okay. Got it. But D2C is a great example too. Cause I think for us, we're looking at our products and we are more and more, we started very Amazon heavy and Amazon focused and we still are, but we are more of a, an omni-channel company, but it's important that not every product works in every channel. So omni-channel does not mean, okay, every single product we buy is going to get a Shopify site and it's going to be launched in walmart.com and it's going to be launched internationally, right? It's every product. You have to really look at every channel and say, what's the opportunity? So, okay, I have this spatula. Do I think I could launch a Shopify site or a Shopify landing page and profitably drive Facebook ad traffic to that landing page for this $5 spatula. Like probably not, right? Like it's just not (laughs) going to be there, but you can get creative. Could I create a bundle of spatulas and then could I sell a 10 pack of spatulas? And then all of a sudden the AOV is there maybe, right? Probably not still for, for a D2C funnel, but, but maybe it's a great play for international. And so that's really where the data drives those decisions is doing the research up front, estimating the revenue potential of each individual channel, prioritizing that across the whole portfolio and then moving on each one kind of top to bottom where the biggest opportunities are. That's actually really a great point because you're trying to find products and businesses that are at all stages of maturity, I'm sure, right? Like, so if you're going back to that spatula, if you just have the one spatula, like that's your laser focus, you do it great. Like you can focus on on building that business through already existing marketplace channels. Whereas like if there's more of a portfolio or, or a brand that is blossoming, I guess you could say, and has a lot of potential, that's probably where you would want to invest the time, effort, and energy in, in developing a, I don't want to say separate presence, but you get what I mean, an extension of that brand in some way to to create something higher value for the customer. Exactly. And I think that's where starting to get really, really interesting at Thrasio because the more companies we buy, the more products we buy or launch. We have an entire product launch team that's that's launching lots of products right now every single day. And so with each product launch or each product acquisition, we're getting so much data and we're seeing what works and we're seeing it across a really broad portfolio. And then we can take those learnings and systematically apply them across the rest of the portfolio. So we're quickly seeing 
what's working on D2C, okay, let's rinse and repeat quickly with other products, right? Or like what's working on Amazon or what's working on Amazon Germany or what's working on this marketplace or that marketplace. And it's all about how do you get that data and those learnings across a broad portfolio rolled up quickly and then pushed back down across the whole portfolio quickly. And, and that's where I think data, data science, all of those departments are really helping us. If you missed one of these episodes, I encourage you to check out the show notes, which includes links to these fantastic conversations. We've remained dedicated and laser focused on spotlighting timely trends, fascinating case studies and examples, and thought-provoking discussions around the issues that are driving industry change and innovation. Thank you again for taking the time out of your lives to listen, and we look forward to educating, empowering, and of course, entertaining you more in the future. We'll see you next time, friends.